everybody. <laughs> oh my goodness. Welcome to episode eight. We made it to eight. Holy it. cannolis. It's almost like we're a real podcast, y'all. Almost. Um, this is History Woes. I'm Morgan. I'm Lexi. Not going to forget that <laughs> this time. Next time, maybe. Don't maybe. hold your breath. We'll do our best. We're trying. Um, so, it's been a little while. We recorded back-to-back last time, and so it's been a couple of weeks. How have you been? Um, I've been good. Uh, we got back from Vegas on Monday for the conference I was at. It was a really good time. Got to do a bunch of nerdy nerd shit. <laughs> um, yeah, it was cool. I got to meet um, some of my partner's in-laws so mm-hmm. that was pretty cool i guess they'll be my in-laws they're his family um but yeah so that was really cool you, um, you saw shin Lim. <laughs> <laughs> uh we did see shin Lim. uh he's a great magician he uh, that is the word on the street no that... no he is a good ma- magician um there is some controversy over whether or not he's really magic i err on not really Others that we love feel differently. Uh, yeah. So my partner uh, wholeheartedly believes that this man is the only magical creature on the planet. Um, and I really like, I love how much he loves magic. You feel me? Um, but I personally am not. Magicians, the game. As enthralled with all of that. It's mm-hmm. not it's not my cup of tea. Um, but I do love how much he loves it. So it was fun to go um, to see it. It was interesting. It was a good time. Uh, my favorite part of Vegas, though, I think will always be just the debauchery and trashiness of Fremont Street. It's absurd, and I love it. I have but not been, but... Next year. I, yes. I think hopefully next year I'll be able to go. Yeah. But um, it was a really cool time. It 10 out of like 10, recommend. 10 out of 10. Um, <clears throat> so, it's my birthday week. It is your birthday week! Which I always insist on having a week. It's the only time that I fully embrace being a Leo, which I don't even really believe in. But I will embrace being like, no, this is my week. And I will always insist on it. Uh, it's a toxic trait. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one you have fully embraced and zero percent apologize for. I'm not apologizing for it, but also I treat others in my life the same. I'm like, it's your birthday week. So everybody gets weak. Um, True. but yeah, so very excited to celebrate with you. She gave me an amazing present. Aww. You guys, I it is a backpack. I love dinosaurs and I love Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is probably my favorite movie. That and, like, Clue. They're very different. But... <laughs> but very good. And, like... Right. They, they both hit so hard with nostalgia. Yes. She got me a Loungefly backpack. And it has... It's Jurassic Park. And on the front are the fucking doors for Jurassic Park. And they open. And you can see... The Ford Explorer that's all, like, all the, like, decals are on it and the, and the T-Rex. And then on the other side is, like, chi- is it not Chibi? Is it Chibi? Chibi. Uh, or is it the pop thing? Yeah, he's, like, a pop figure. Yeah, pop figure. Sexy Jeff Goldblum. So <laughs> this is the most amazing backpack that's ever existed. I'm very excited about it. I got so excited. Um... That if I slur my words during this podcast, and I know I do that, like, a lot anyway, but 
it's not because I'm drunk. I got so excited. This is the most me injury that has ever occurred. <laughs> I opened my mouth so wide in shock that I popped my jaw out of place. And I can't tell if it's still not in place. I don't know. I may need to see a doctor. But I regret nothing. I'm, I'm so, so sorry ex- that's happened. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love this backpack. It so happened much. while we were at a wine tasting. And all night she kept like just opening and closing her mouth, like testing it out and like rubbing her face. And I was like, man, I hope she's like, all right. Uh, she didn't say anything. And then she texts me the next day and she's like, dude, I popped my jaw out of socket yesterday when I was so excited about the <laughs> present you gave me. Um, so yeah, anyway, maybe see a doctor about that. I might. I'm trying to see if it's just sore because I, I popped it out and back in or if it's so fucked up. We'll find out. We'll see. Stay tuned. Um, but yeah, so... To transition into this week on the podcast, we are covering the best boys and girls. There's no girls on this particular one, but pretty much all dogs are best boys and girls. It's science. Um, yeah. So, uh, honorarily, uh, now in the room, <laughs> instead of Xander, this is not his episode, so we brought my dog Yogi in the room mm-hmm. um, for his feature. Uh, hopefully he'll be quiet because he is quite loud when he speaks. But uh, he is a very, very good yellow lab boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is here with us other honorary best boy in the room. Yeah, he may have some things to add during the podcast. And I'm sure that we'll all be very excited to hear it. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think I go first this episode. You did. Okay, cool. Tell us about your wine. Okay, so my wine is called Bar Dog. Ooh. Um, two separate words. So bar is like a place where you go drink. And dogs like best boys and girls. Um, it's a red wine, so I assume it's just a red table blend of some kind. Um, it's very cute. It has a little Westie with a monocle on it. That's a very and, good label. Yeah. And um, there were actually a lot, and I encourage everyone to research and like see if there's any like near you. There were actually a lot of different um, wines and beers and like all kinds of stuff that gave money to um animal shelters and whatnot this is the only one i could find near me because i procrastinated um and so they make an annual donation to their local wine country animal rescue um but yeah it's just a regular red wine it's awesome there, so there's also a wine i wasn't able to get a hold of it because i too procrastinated <laughs> yeah um but and it used to be available over here like um in our area frequently um and it was called um chateau la paz Mm -hmm. and uh i can't find them here now but they were um or they are a winery and they donate 50 percent of their proceeds to yeah um animal shelters like no specific no-kill ones yeah so if you see that near you that also may be one to try but i'm excited to try this one i've not had it before they used to sell chateau la paz near here like i had bought it before and I went on their website to, like, see if I could find it and, like, you know, find our product near you. And there wasn't anything within the 50 miles. Yeah. And I was like, well, that stinks. And then um, um, there's also, I think it's Motorworks Brewing. I know I've talked about them before on this podcast, but they make an adoptable lager um, where I think, a, I want to say it's a dollar per pint in the room, like in the tap room. And then mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of the proceeds go from the packages, but it's called Adoptable Lager. I think it's got a pit bull on the front of it mm. um, and proceeds that go to help animals as well. Sweet. 
Um, and we'll post a picture of it, but we are using an aerator for the red wine today. Mm-hmm. And it's a dog. And we'll, we'll post a picture of that later. So when you use it for red wine, it does look a little bit like the dog is vomiting blood, but also not. Sorry you know, to make that sad for everyone. It's, it's wine. No dogs are harmed. <laughs> In the making of this podcast. So I was going to say in our stories that I was like, I mean, they have like miniature wounds, but they're fine. They all are fine. Some dogs um, die in mine. Sorry. It's not my fault. Okay. <laughs> I'm scared. All right. Um, But cheers. Cheers. Oh, pretty yummy. I like how dry that is. It's super dry. I didn't even do it on purpose, guys. It's a red blend. I had no idea. It doesn't say or anything on the back, the notes or anything, so. Yeah. I had no idea it was going to be one that I liked, but I'm really glad that I do. That's a nice dry one. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and I, it wasn't expensive. I think it was, like, maybe 15 bucks, maybe, a total wine. Because I had fun. to buy, I had to buy some fucking peanuts <laughs> to meet their minimum amount to, to pick up, so it wasn't expensive. Um, so that's, that's like, a really, if you like a dry red wine, um... Yeah, I highly recommend. Highly recommend. It's really good. And it goes to support dogs. So, you know, you can't ask saying. for more than that. If you need to make a last minute purchase, um, because you have a party to go to or something. <clears throat> and it's a, you know, it's an icebreaker. Yeah. So, yep, today we're going to be covering um, some notable puppers. Um, heroes. Puppy heroes. Aww. We're going to do our best not to cry. We're we not make making zero promises, promises mm-hmm. on that. Like, I, I might. We'll see how it goes. Um, I cried so. when I was writing mine, so I assume... So did I. There will be tears. And not because, like, something awful has happened, at least in my story, nothing awful happened to the dog. I was just like, we don't deserve dogs. He's too good, is the reason I started crying. So, you know, grab your tissues and your fluffiest best friend um, and get ready. I'm going to go ahead and start. I'm really excited to embark on this journey with you. Embark? Mm-hmm. Uh, I said what I said. <laughs> I was so upset I didn't find any dog puns earlier, but you, you've got me. I'm glad. I love puns. Um, okay. <laughs> embark. Um, okay. So, uh, real quick addendum to our last episode. Uh, last episode, uh, Lex mentioned a Dunkirk veteran. Uh, my dad listens to this podcast. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. <laughs> and he told me, and I, I didn't realize, I knew that he um, died in World War II. I did not know that he died at um, just outside uh, Dunkirk. Was so it World War II or World War I? World War II. Okay. He was just old enough to have to go. He was like 37, I believe. 36, oh, 37. Wow. So okay. he was just old enough to have to go. And it was kind of towards, not at the beginning, I guess at this point they were sending older men at this time gotcha. even though 37 still like not old um but so I mean, it for sucks doing all the shit you have to go to work. like my hips hurt now like... girl i'm barely alive um <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> but yeah so he died uh just outside dunkirk now i'm not going to cover the whole history book chapter that is dunkirk because it is way too long but basically during world war ii there was a huge retreat to the dunkirk beach and a lot of people died at the beach and during the retreat through France to get to the beach where the boats were trying to get all these men safely home or somewhere else uh, to regroup. Um, but while uh, great grandpa was retreating with his regiment um, in the Royal Artillery, the King's Army, <laughs> he was 
badly wounded, and they had to leave him because he could not be moved. Oh, my so gosh. So they left him with a firearm and some grenades, and he held off the attacking force as long as possible before being killed, and I imagine helped ensure the safety of his regiment's retreat. So it is just mind-boggling fucking bravery, to be honest. Yeah. So I just thought I'd add it um, because, A, history. B, I know my dad will be much happier for its inclusion. And C. But what a cool hero to have in your family, though. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a couple. So he he sadly died there. That's um, awful. My so other you're... grandfather, um, my dad's dad, was serving in North Africa. And my mom's dad All dropped in. at the same in. time? Yeah. Yeah, and my mom's dad dropped in on D-Day. He was like a parachuter guy. Okay, so all amazing men, but their poor mothers also. Can you imagine the nerves? Yeah. So my nan, so her dad died there, this man. Yeah. Um, her first husband died. He was gunned down um, in an, uh, he was an air. He was the one in North like, Africa? He was a pilot. No, that's her next husband, Fuck. my pop-pop. But I think they didn't get married, I think, until closer to, he was like towards the end of the war. Um, I don't think that probably helps. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she had, and her, she lived in London, so her house was bombed twice. So, you know, like a lot of people who just went through a lot of shit and like, we just, it's just unthinkable. I right think now. it's very interesting now that we look at things and we're like, this is the worst the world has ever been. <laughs> yeah. And then we look at people who have gone through... Like, all of that. Like, people who lived through yeah. World War One and World War Two, like, yes. in the area. Um, no, like, and what, not to say that, like, what we have going on right now isn't absolutely terrible, but... Yeah, we got bad shit going My on. goodness. Yeah. But also, what fantastic people you're related to. I didn't know the story about I didn't... your great-grandpa at Dunkirk. Me neither. I knew he, I just knew he died in World War Two. I didn't know the rest of it. My dad was very kind enough to awesome. sit me down. He was like, hey, I'm glad you're I'm going to tell you this. And I was like, cool, all right. I'm uh, really glad he shared that with you. That's awesome. Same, same. Thank you. Um, and, and and there's also another reason I, I wanted to include this, because my great-grandfather was a Lance Sergeant. I don't know. Don't tell me. Uh, don't try to get me to tell you what the difference is between a Lance Sergeant and a regular Sergeant. But today, I am telling you about another war hero. Sergeant Stubby. <laughs> now, Stubby started in World War One, so it's a bit before World War Two, as I'm sure you can guess. Um, world War One starts in. I feel like the slurring for World War is gonna be bad. I'm just so sorry. Listen, just you know just what I'm George saying. Bush it and just WW one. WW one. Yeah, you guys know what I mean. So, World War One starts in July 1914. When I began compiling my notes for this episode, I refreshed and read up on World War One and started remembering how incredibly ridiculous it was that millions of people died because of a fairly small initial conflict, which I will sum up now. I cannot sum up all of World War One because it is too much. Why not? It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so much information. Um... Yeah, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of background. Can I pause you really yeah, quick just because this is going to bother me? What war was your dad in? Because I know he fought too. He served. He wasn't in a war. Oh, okay. I thought he was in a war. My aunt's husband, Shirley's husband, was in Vietnam. Maybe but my, that's what my, I think. Yeah, my dad was... Your dad's my dad too young served, for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was too young. He served um, his four years, but um, it wasn't during wartime, though. Okay. Um, Anyway, but yeah, Sorry, I, I, mean, I was trying, I was like, 
Didn't her dad's hurt? I was he sorry. Did. And a uh, thing that sticks in my crowd, not so much in his, but in mine, is that, like, so he's an immigrant, right? Yeah. He's from England. Like, you serve your four years and you don't automatically get citizenship, which I think is trash. I concur. <laughs> like, I'm if sorry. If you like, sign the blank check, check over to the country up to and including your life, uh, I feel like you get to stay here after. Right! Indefinitely. Like, like, congratulations. Yeah. You made it. Exactly. So, I'm sorry. You have to fill out some fucking survey that there's some test that's like, when was the constitution? Like, Things that us native people would never dream of. Exactly. And it's, uh, anyway. Anyway, sorry. I digress. Yeah. I was just, that was going to bother me this whole podcast. No, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. I, when I was, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I completely thought that he was also in the war too. It took me like years to, he was like, no, just because you were serving does not mean you were in the war. It was like, does not compute. (laughs) All Um, all heroes nonetheless. All heroes nonetheless. Because I sure shit, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Nope. Um, (laughs) Sorry, okay. moving on. Sergeant Stubby, tell me about this good boy. Uh, we are not there yet. i got to give oh. you some background. Right. On World the War outbreak I. of World I'm back. War I. I'm in it. I'm here. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I don't want to assume people are just completely up to date on it. Um, as I was not. Because I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to begin on the 28th of June, uh, 1914, with the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand. The Archduke was the heir to the Austrian throne. And he was visiting Sarajevo, I think it is, um, which was a recently annexed province of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, I thought it was Via, but it's that's not how it's spelled. Wait, uh, Herzegovina. Where and was that? We don't Bosnia. Know. All right. <laughs> sorry, I'm American. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and face I just right now was just. I didn't look at a. I didn't look at a map before. That's fine. I started. I'm sorry. I've just never heard of it, it before. It is in Europe. Okay. I'm great. fairly certain. I'm roughly aware so. of where that exists. Roughly. Um, <laughs> roughly. <laughs> um, okay. So he's visiting this place. It's in Europe. He was there. Uh, and six assassins were placed along a route that they knew the Archduke's motorcade would be traveling. The assassins were members of a group known as Young Bosnia. And they hoped by assassinating the Austrian Archduke that they would get out from under Austrian rule. Which, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but how do you figure that's going to work? Like, his country is just going to be totally cool that you killed their presumptive heir and be like, yeah, sure, that's reasonable, and I guess I'll go ahead and we'll get out of your go. country. Yeah, no problem. Um, anyway, <laughs> one of the group members threw a grenade at the Archduke's car, which injured two of his aides, um, and they had to be taken to hospital. The other five assass- assassins were also unsuccessful. But then... The Archduke goes to visit his aides in the hospital, and I appreciate the gesture, but, like, also, there have been attempts on this guy's life, and they know a huge fucking ordeal is going to result if he's killed, and I'm sure they didn't think it was going to be as big as World War One. but still, uh, this guy apparently took the I'm-not-gonna-live-scared approach, and fate did not look kindly on that decision. On his way back from visiting his aides, the Archduke's driver took a wrong turn, and into a street where Gavrilo Princip, also a member of Young Bosnia, was standing, and he shot the Archduke and his wife, and they both died soon after. <gasps> oh, no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it seems at this point ridiculous to think that an assassination carried out by non-state actors on Austria from a terrorist group of Bosnians could result in the biggest war that had ever occurred up until that time. But it did. <laughs> <laughs> This 
alas. <laughs> yeah, it did. All This all accumulates in the July crisis in which Austria, Hungary, Germany, Russia, France, Britain, and Serbia all get together and they try to get out of starting a war. Except Austria is not trying to get out of it. The Austrians insisted that the Serbians aided the assassins with intelligence, despite there being no solid evidence that this ever happened or occurred. But what was really going on was the Austrian officials wanted to end Serbian influence in Bosnia and were perfectly willing to go to war to achieve this. So, on July 23rd, 1914, Austria delivered an ultimatum to Serbia with a list of ridiculous demands that they knew Serbia would have to refuse. Serbia, however, accepted the terms, except for those empowering Austrian representatives to suppress subversive elements inside Serbia or take part in the investigation of the trial of Serbians linked to the assassination, which seemed reasonable to everyone else, I'm sure. Except this was all Austria needed to say, nope. The definition of toxic masculinity ruins the party again. <laughs> it ruined everyone's party. <laughs> For Literally like a long the time. World. <laughs> the world's party was ended at this point. Um, yeah. So this Goodness is all gracious. Serbia needed uh, to be like, nope, you're not cooperating. Uh, this means war. And on the 20th of July, 1914, World War I began. But How? Did this become a world war instead of a scuffle between two countries, you might ask? Um, to sum up, hell, this is gonna, this is gonna, it's just like an arrow pointing to an arrow pointing to an arrow. England had a pact with France, who had a pact with the Russians, who had mm-hmm. a pact with Serbia. Mm-hmm. The Belgians were gonna stay neutral, mm-hmm. but the Germans attacked France through Belgium, so now... They're involved, which further involves England, now militarily, who also had a pact with Belgium. I tried to draw the map uh, in the <laughs> air, and y'all, it uh, it didn't work. Everybody lost. had a pact with everybody, and now just Everyone's because this, these two are at war, everybody else is now involved because of Like they're uh, all contractually an obligated yes, to correct, back correct. one another. Mm-hmm. See, um, the, you, this is what happens when you have too many friends. I'm just saying, you have too many friends, you got too many people fighting, <laughs> it's not good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the other corner, we have the Central Powers, which consisted of the German Empire, Austria-Hungary, the Ottoman Empire, Empire and the Kingdom of Bulgaria. Also, through a series of packs. And I think this was, it was in the first episode that I mentioned that World War One was also like a family squabble. Mm-hmm. Three large powers in this war are England, Germany, and Russia. The monarchs in these countries at this time were all cousins. Um, the King of England, George V, That's and... That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. George V and Tsar Nicholas II of Russia were both grandchildren of England's Queen Victoria. I didn't know that. Yeah. Making them first cousins. Um, and they were fourth cousins with Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany, who was first cousins with Nicholas's wife. How uncomfortable was that family reunion? I, I'm guessing they didn't see each other very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wild. Uh, but upwards of 20 million people died in World War One. 20 million people. This is fucking insane to me. I understand why. 
Over an assassination. I get, I get alliances. I also believe there should be a clause that says if the reason for the war is bullshit, they get the leaders in a ring and let them fight that shit out. Yeah! Because 20 million fucking people died for shit that could, should have and could have been sorted out differently. But instead, we sent a generation off to be butchered and gassed, and if they were lucky enough to come back, riddled with PTSD, that would go untreated by the governments that sent them there to fight. I think uh, we should start electing uh, officials based on their ability to win bare knuckle boxing matches. Ukraine's already started that. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> you know what? Fuck if they're not doing a great job. <laughs> I Look just, at their president. Damn. I know that whole like, Vogue he's or whatever mean, cover he, he was a problem. But yeah. No, he doesn't. Um, bare knuckle box. No, but, like the but rest the, of their people do. Yeah. <laughs> The rest of Ukraine does. Uh, the mayor of Kiev does. And then I think you, his brother also has you, a... Yeah, they're both, like, huge... Yeah, huge, but, uh, like, heavyweight champions. I'm sorry. I've seen videos of the grandmothers in Ukraine. You cannot convince me. They don't bare knuckle box? Yeah. I feel like uh, whenever Ukraine was separated from Russia initially... <laughs> Kicked all the assholes out. All of the people... You can't fight? You can't fight? Get out. Yeah. Like, Ukraine was like, fuck you, we only want hard bitches here. <laughs> and then um, then everyone else had to go to Russia. Not that I'm sure, like, Russia... I'm sure the Russian people are great. Like, there are... They're... I think I've, I've met several Russian people, and they're perfectly fine. Yeah, they're, um, like, they're great people. Uh, no shade on the Russian people, only... Big like, shade specific... on your leadership, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they probably may agree. Interestingly, uh, for any Russians who may have access to this podcast, um, I mentioned Nicholas II. He was the Tsar of Russia during World War One, and his people hated that they were at war, and they ended up having shortages in food. They were not doing well, so they just took him, and sadly his family, but they took him out, and then they instituted a new government, and I'm just saying it's, you know... An option. Uh, I was... Uh, so the conference I went to this past week was a security conference, mm -hmm. and um, they mentioned, they were talking about, like, reliable news sources, mm -hmm. and um, that, you know, like, obviously Russia has, like, extremely propaganda and bias yeah. news, and also, like, in the U.S., whether we want to believe it or not, we also have a boatload of that, but they said one of the more reliable countries to get news from mm -hmm. uh, was Swiss news outlets, sure, I guess that and then, sense. so if you want, like, an unbiased approach to things to get Swiss news and just translate that page into English okay. through Google. I guess that makes um, sense. Yeah. So anyway. Um, and, also, tip, but... and also, uh, when I say I think you should take out your leadership, I mean to like a desert island where they can live by themselves, not like in the way that Nicholas was taken out, because that's very sad. If any of you have seen Anastasia, you kind of know how all that all turned out. It was sad. <laughs> uh, so this is all a lot, and uh, we poured small glasses of wine oh, to begin with, so yeah, if I it. can just, because yeah, you have it uh, I've been to a whole war now. So. <laughs> well, not entirely. Um, like, so... I thought we were doing dogs, and now we're... We're like we, we are doing dogs. Dying. We're gonna get to dogs. I promise. Um, uh, so now that we know how it all started, enter the Americans. Um, in in fairness to us, like this time, it really it wasn't our fault for once. It, it we could was. have stayed out of it, but like honestly, it wasn't a super big option. But I hate how we went about it. Um, yeah, I have. Um, so, <laughs> during uh, 1915 to 17, the Germans were practicing unrestricted submarine warfare. Um, this resulted in American ships and passengers dying after being fired on. 
by German subs and food shortages when merchant vessels didn't want to take to sea because of the high risk of also being bombed. So on uh, 2nd of April, 1916, Americans joined the war. America. Uh, <laughs> interestingly, the U.S. Army had fewer than 300,000 men, including the National Guard units at this time. What? Compared to the British Army at 4.1 million and the French Army at 8.3 million. So we've joined a war we aren't really yet equipped to fight. Um, that's interesting. So yeah, that's when that started. It was at this time. So I know that I think yeah. it's from every war from I guess maybe this one where we increase military spending exponentially and then we're supposed to draw back after the war ends, but it never quite reaches its pre. Oh, that's very what, possible. Whatever that last war is, it never reaches that benchmark mm. of that level of spending again. All right. Well, I've don't doubt that anyway um but it is when america enacted the selective service act of 1917 allowing them to draft 2.8 million men with a significant amount being assigned to the american uh, expeditionary forces uh there was some resentment from the other allies towards american soldiers because they joined the war so late and also because general john j pershing in control of the aef aef was a proponent of pre-1914 open warfare, which is completely fucking ridiculous for this war. World War One was the first time we're seeing trench warfare on such a large scale. Rushing the opposition would and did result in many casualties, but he insisted on retaining control of the American troops, um, refused to commit them to the front line until they were able to operate as independent units. I'm sorry. So open warfare, like how we fought the British here on our turf? Yeah, basically get in a fucking line. Oh, so everyone lines up together. I don't really, I'm not entirely positive, to be honest. I'm not sure when they say open warfare exactly if they mean that kind, but I know it sure shit didn't mean in the trenches, which was how this particular war was being fought. You can't just rush them. Which also awful. Like, how are you going to make it? You won't. It was called no man's land in between the trenches. There was, because I think there were grenades, there were trip lines, there were barbed wires, there were um, mines. You weren't going to be able to rush them. Because like, so... and they're shooting at you from Here, cover. when we fought, I think we learned a type of guerrilla warfare mm-hmm. from uh, Native peoples here. Mm-hmm. And then we used that to our advantage to mm-hmm. win the Revolutionary War. But we had, I don't know, trees and the British lost because they were... Just out in the fucking open. Well, so, in fairness, I mean... At but this... if you don't have cover, as I understand, a lot of Europe is, like, nice and not, like, our shitty stuff. Uh, what what do I you do? I think in in our Revolutionary War, there was a fair amount of war, guerrilla warfare, but we still were, to an extent, practicing that get in a line oh. and shoot. Okay. Because um, we were even doing that in Civil War. True. True, true, true. So, I mean, we were still doing... Which, like, Whatever. Um, it's sad that... But then isn't that where, when the South won all of those battles, that they knew the landscape and so they knew where they could hide? I imagine it was probably a mix. Which okay. is maybe what this guy was trying to do. True. Okay. And, Sorry. Anyway. And, and he just we're... wasn't getting with the like all the other allies. They're like, no, this is how we're fighting. If you do that, you're going to die. And a lot of men did because this guy... That's tragic. Yeah. Okay. It really is. Sorry. Anyway. His inability um, to adapt. Yeah. Basically. 
Um, so this frustrated a lot of the other allies, and as a result, Americans were not really well liked by the other soldiers. So that sucks, because it wasn't really their fault. But, um, yeah. But we're going to lift this up now, because as Americans were preparing to be sent overseas, the 102nd Infantry was training in New Haven, Connecticut, on the Yale campus. Ooh. During this time... My story also has Yale in it. Oh, that's that's exciting. exciting. Alrighty. So during this time, a 10 out of 10, good boy, wandered into the training grounds and began hanging out with the men as they trained. The soldiers named him Stubby. Was he, so they were doing push-ups and he's like, I am forever in the push-up position and he was ready. (laughs) king of planking. Oh. (laughs) Um, He was said to be a mutt, but he looked a lot like a Boston Terrier. Um, but this is before Boston Terriers were even an official breed. So they say he's probably like one of the beginning, like kinds of dogs that look like this. Um, the, so I just want to give you a point of reference. Face? I'll show you a picture. Hang on. Let me scroll down. I'm going to get pictures for everybody else, but. Oh, he does look like a Boston. Yeah. But it's like before Boston's were really. Um, I don't know thing. if like I'm behind and the rest of the world knows what Sergeant Stubby looks like, but he <laughs> is. We will definitely be posting pictures of these fantastic good boys. Um, Okay, so he looked like a Boston Terrier, and I want to give you guys a point of reference. He was small, but mighty. (laughs) Um, One soldier, Corporal James Robert Conway, Conroy, sorry, developed a strong bond with Stubby, and in October 1917, when it was time for the guys to ship out, Corporal Conrad took his furry best friend with him on the SS Minnesota under his overcoat. At some point in the journey, Corporal Conway's commanding officer discovered Stubby. But Stubby, having been prepared for such a situation, promptly saluted the (gasps) officer, who then allowed him to stay. He was deemed the 102nd's unofficial mascot, and a a machinist fashioned him his own set of dog tags. (laughs) I know. Oh, I'm already about to cry. Yeah, it's a lot. They got the dog, dog tags. Dog tags. And he saluted. He put his little paw up to his little puppy head. He was like, salute. I can't. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm already tearing up. Uh This is Uh not going to be a good episode. Uh We're going to do our best. Um, When they got to France, things were not great, as you can imagine. The Americans weren't treated very well by the other soldiers, and morale was low. But Stubby did his best to bring up all of the men's spirits by walking up and down the lines for visits to cheer everyone up. While at the front line, Stubby and his fellow soldiers were subject to a gas attack. After this, Stubby became very good at detecting when even trace amounts of gas were in the air. At Chemin de Dames, this is a place, uh, in France, Stubby reportedly saved the 102nd from a gas attack. The Times describes how one morning, while most of the troops were sleeping, the division was assaulted by an early morning gas launch. Stubby first smelled the gas, then ran up and down the trenches, barking and biting soldiers, working to wake them up and getting them to safety. This gave the men time to put their gas masks on, and they were able to put one on Stubby, too. Oh, oh no. Stubbs. (laughs) Though it said Stubby had a... Yeah, exactly. It said that Stubby had an unusual head size, which made it difficult to get a mask to fit perfectly. Um, Stubby also proved to be very good at finding wounded soldiers on the field because his snoot was 10 out of 10. On April 5th, Stubby became... I know. On April 5th, Stubby became a private first class, his (gasps) first military rank. Oh. Yeah. Private Stubbs. (laughs) I can't. It's very good. Oh, I'm gonna cry. (laughs) This dog is so good. 
Um, it also turned out Stubby was very uh, was a very good guard dog. Um, as Stubby was walking the lines one day, he came across a German spy who was mapping the layout of the Allied trenches. Stubby sprung into action and held the spy until <laughs> help arrived. For helping capture the enemy spy, Stubby received a promotion to the rank of sergeant. <gasps> sergeant sergeant Stubby. Stubby. Yep. My goodness. He's just <laughs> flying through those ranks. He's doing so good. Um, with it, So with his pay, or with his promotions, does he get like pay increase like he has extra bones? <laughs> I hope so. I hope he gets extra bones. I hope so. Maybe a couple of extra rations. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Um, on April 20th near uh, Chespre, I think that is. It's very difficult. It's another French word. I don't know why I keep doing this to myself. Um, near Chespre, the... German infantry led one of the first attacks against American troops. The Germans claimed victory, leaving 81 Allied troops killed, 424 wounded, and 133 captured. Chespre sustained the heaviest losses in the St. Mihail, it's not Michelle because there's no C, so St. Mihail sector where Stubby and company were stationed. Stubby took part in the battle and got his first war wound at Sespre <gasps> when a German shell fragment lodged in his left foreleg. No! But do not worry. He was okay. okay. He was transported to a Red Cross recovery hospital where he recovered to tip-top shape and Stubby, oh. being Stubby, began roaming the hospital to cheer up the other wounded soldiers. Imagine being the Red Cross nurse who gets Stubby as your patient. <laughs> oh my, a yeah. dog! And that gets to be your patient. And he's so sweet. And he goes around the hospital and he like cheers everybody up. He gives everyone kisses on their nose, probably. Yeah. He's very good. Okay, Um, I'm sorry. You're fine. I'm I'm in it. No, well, I really appreciate that because he's worth it. Um, He's so good. Later that summer in June, Stubby was back at it in the field. After the recapture of Chateau Thierry, the women of the town made him a blanket embroidered with the flags of the Allies. The blanket would later hold his wound stripe, his three chevrons denoting his military service, and numerous <laughs> me- <laughs> and numerous medals. This became Stubby's uniform. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> this dog is too pure. <laughs> He's very, very pure. Um, while there, Stubby had evidently learned to recognize the gray German uniform. Stubby's rage at the sight of a German was reportedly so savage, oh. in the words of an Associated Press account, that it was found necessary to tie him up when batches of prisoners were being brought back for fear that trouserless Germans would be reaching the prison pens. Good for him. <laughs> he was like, get out of here. <laughs> okay. Um, in the Argonne, uh, in the Argonne, I'm not sure it's in, it's in a French place, but in the Argonne, uh, Stubby sniffed out a lost German sh- soldier hiding in the nearby bushes. The dog gave chase. Eventually, this is a small dog. The dog gave chase, eventually dragging the soldier back to the 102nd. I'm sorry. Imagine a fucking Boston Terrier <laughs> coming up and fucking with you so hard that he drags you back. Yep. He sure did. <laughs> so fierce. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love him. Yep. Yep. He brought him back to the 102nd, and it was at this time Stubby claimed the Iron Cross medal that had been pinned to the German soldier's uniform, and it was added to Stubby's well-earned medals. Oh, stops. <laughs> Which is crazy, because it's like, the Iron Cross, I think, is like the highest uh, honor you can get. It's like, And it's his. <laughs> and it's Stubby's now. Rightfully so. Has there ever been anyone more to... Yeah, probably, but still. <laughs> not, no. This dog has it. <laughs> Um, after the war, Stubby was revered as a hero and became a minor celebrity. 
He was made a lifetime member of the American Legion, Red Cross, and the YMCA, and he marched in every Legion parade and attended every Legion convention. He met three presidents of the United States, Wilson, Harding, and Coolidge. The YMCA offered him three bones a day and a place to sleep for the rest of his life. Oh, oh my gosh, I can't. In 1921, General Pershing pinned Stubby with a a Gold Hero Dogs Medal that was commissioned by the Humane Education Society, the predecessor of the Humane Society. The Grand Hotel Majestic in New York City lifted its band on dogs so that Stubby could stay there en route to one of his many visits to Washington. Yeah. Yeah, imagine being in a hotel and you're like, oh no, we don't take dogs. Not, Not even hero dogs. Excuse me, no. This fuck dog you. can go wherever the fuck this yeah, dog wants. Yeah, this dog gets to go wherever he was quite literally yes like i'm sorry he's a boston terrier like <laughs> right you're just not gonna let him in okay he's like the american corgi <laughs> let that baby go wherever he wants <laughs> he is royalty i'll hear nothing less he is. um him. when corporal conway went to georgetown to study law stubby became the mascot for the football team until they adopted the hoya, hoya bulldog later on i don't know anything about college uh sports but i guess the Georgetown is the Hoya Bulldogs now, but before that, it was Stubby. When he what was, a mistake when on he was their ten- part. Yeah, right? It's when he was attending. Um, during halftime, he would nudge a football around the field, which is something I would happily prefer to watch at any Super Bowl. I'm sorry. Is he, like, <laughs> the um, like the inspiration for the Puppy Bowl every year? Maybe. Um, I would be much more happy to watch that on the Super Bowl. I'm, uh, you should watch it every Super Bowl day. It is fantastic. <laughs> the Puppy Bowl? Yes. Yeah. And the Kitten Bowl. Yes. All There's very both. good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm just, you know, Sergeant Stubby, uh, you heard it here first. I don't know if it's true, but, uh, Sergeant <laughs> Stubby is the, uh, the, the inspiration for the Puppy Bowl. Yep. Yep. Um, Stubby remained in the care of his best friend. Corporal Conway for the rest of his life until he passed away in his sleep, uh, reportedly in his um, best friend's arms. His obituary was half a page long, much longer than other notable people at the time. You can visit his remains and his uniform today at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. There is also an animated movie about him called Sergeant Stubby, an American Hero. That is the story of Sergeant Stubby, a hundred out of ten. Best as good boy. (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna cry i might cry i'm really I'm surprised sorry. i, I have cry. tears in my eyes he is absolutely the best boy uh oh yeah. my goodness what a hero he was a hero and i am really surprised i didn't cry i teared up um, at the very last I, couple of sentences so i haven't read or i'm sorry i haven't seen the animated movie yet it's but really i need good. to it's really um, good i think uh so Growing up with movies like Where the Red Fern Grows, I yeah, don't, no, no, I no, don't no. trust general rule. movies. <laughs> general rule, if there's a dog in it, do not watch it. Yeah, I don't I, I just don't happen to it. know that yeah. Stubby doesn't die in this okay. movie because it's A, animated for kids, and B, he doesn't die during the war. So, yeah, um, yeah he lived a full okay. life. Well, he, beautiful dog. I love it. Um, Can we, oh, no, he's laying down. Okay. He's uh, like, I'm so sad. My, my, my. <laughs> Personal bestest good boy had mm-hmm. to uh, migrate mm-hmm. for comfort. We can always pause later and let him out if he needs to. Oh, no, I think he's fine. Um, okay, so I have, I guess we will oh, yeah, we transition. Yeah, we will the wine. Um, so what I kind of wine? brought, I have a uh, 
like an ice pack taped to it because it's a white and <laughs> I swear I used to have one of those like corksicle things and I don't know where it went. Oh no. But um so here you go. That's for you now. Oh thank you. Um and I got the black dog great white. Um, and this is a dog. So the label is what sold it for me. Um, and it's like a black dog. Um, honestly, it looks a bit like a black lab um, in like a lake. And he's got a shark fin like you can see belted to him. Uh, so he is just being sneaky and a bit nefarious. Um, bark, 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 bark. Um, it is out of. Oh, this is fun. It's out of Boston Winery. Okay. So, uh, yeah, out of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And one second it. while we pour this and try it. All right, and cheers. Cheers. I think this is a just a white blend. I think I read it has like Chardonnay, Sauvignon, and Viognier grapes, but it shouldn't be aged in the Chardonnay way, so it shouldn't have that awful butteriness. Um, I definitely get the Chardonnay coming through, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty good... Mm-hmm. I'll take it. I agree. I hate That's that. not bad. Um, for... Uh... Normally, we, we just hate Chardonnay, but, like, this is, like, uh... I mean, if it was a Chardonnay, it was unoaked, so it's not yeah, bad. Yeah. It's just a white blend, um, and it's... Yeah, I think it was, like, 17 bucks. It wasn't bad. All right. So... Nice. I don't know if you want that for later. I do. Um, Okay. So, uh, I loved your story, and <laughs> you. uh, I had tears in my eyes that whole time, and now I'm, I'm going to do my best to speak through another very good boy. Yeah, I'm probably going to cry if I'm being um, honest, but that's okay. Yeah, so we're going to do the story of Togo, and if you've never heard of Togo, that's fine. You're about to learn. Hi, so um, excited. So, I need you to picture it. Okay. It's the winter of 1924 into 1925. Uh, there's one doctor and four nurses for all of Nome, Alaska. Mm -hmm. And you are that doctor. Oh, no. You're Curtis Welch. Mm -hmm. um, and you're performing your inventory before winter hits. Uh, and you discover that a number of medicines are expired. So you <sighs> do the responsible thing and place an order for more. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, these do not arrive before the port closes for the long Alaskan winter. And in December of 1924, a round of what you think is tonsillitis rips through the children of the town. And it's not uncommon, especially in winter months, for tonsillitis mm -hmm. to make to rear its ugly head. Um, but without medicines, a total of four children die. Mm -hmm. um, That's really sad. And I don't think it's necessarily... Given the time frame, abnormal, right? Yeah, it's the 1920s. exactly. Medicine's not as advanced as it mm -hmm. is now. Um, you're unable to form autopsies and inspect these bodies um, because, again, you are the only doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, but then in January of 1925, a three-year-old boy comes in, and he dies after only two oh, weeks no. of being sick with tonsillitis. And so you're, like, racking your brain, and you're like, mm -hmm. what is going on here? The following day... A seven-year-old girl comes in ill, and you finally realize that what you have on your hands is not tonsillitis. It is an outbreak of diphtheria. Oh, my gosh. Okay, are, I don't want to... Are you going to tell everyone what diphtheria is? 
No, go ahead. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> this shit, I heard it on uh, this podcast will kill you. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing podcast. Yes, two listen ep- to uh, it. Two epidemiologists, both named Aaron. Um, and they talk about different um, diseases throughout, uh, well, still, because we still have them. Um, but they covered diphtheria. I think they may have been covering it in their, their like, reasons to get a vaccine because it's mm-hmm. covered in the DTaP vaccine that you get as a kid with the D standing for diphtheria. Assuming you're eligible for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as long as you can get it. Um, diphtheria. Fucking hold on to your hats. Um, that... Huh, it is not just a sore throat. Like, people, like, like it's very, like, I, I can see why he thought it was, right, I can see why he well, thought. Well, you thought. You're the doctor. Right, what I thought. <laughs> but I, I can see how I confused it, um, because it is an incredibly sore throat. But this is how you die. Um, so if you don't have a vaccine, you should listen. Um, so basically, um, and this isn't abnormal for when you get sick, like the cells in your mouth are dying. Um, this happens all over your body, like on your skin, you know, and the cells typically like slough off. Um, but instead the cells, the dead cells continue to accumulate in your mouth, uh, on your tonsils, on the roof of your mouth. Um, it's not something that can be scraped off because it will bleed. Uh, and they just keep getting bigger until you slowly suffocate. That is diphtheria. Terrifying. Uh, it is a terrifying, terrifying disease that you do not have to die from. Yep. Because there's a vaccine. Correct. Now. Uh, now. We are blessed enough to live in the era oh, of vaccines gosh. now. Um, so, uh, the antitoxins for diphtheria were among the expired medications. Um, and so despite this, the girl comes in, you realize what you have on your hands. So you try to save her life by administering the expired antitoxin for her. Unfortunately, it has no effect and she dies a few hours later. Realizing that an epidemic is on the horizon, uh, you have an emergency meeting with the town mayor and the town council. Um, and because it's before the age of Google degrees, uh, the council listens to you, the Uh doctor. (laughs) And immediately implements a quarantine. They should. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. <laughs> like, and a quarantine. A quarantine. Uh, and everyone behaved and listened and followed it. Um, the next day, telegrams were sent out to the surrounding towns to warn them of the threat. And uh, you also sent a telegram to D.C. requesting assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and epi- uh, the telegram reads, an epidemic of diphtheria is almost inevitable here. Stop. I am in urgent need of 1 million units of diphtheria antitoxin. Stop. Mail is the only form of transportation. Stop. I have made an application to the Commissioner of Health of the Territories for antitoxin already. Stop. There are, and this part is problematic, there are about 3,000 white natives in the district. Stop. Okay, I was going to say that I had chills, and I do, over the uh, being in this doctor's uh, shoes and knowing that you have to save all these people. Um, I have extra chills for the fact that we only give a shit if we save the white people. Correct. Um, Correct. You know, it's like brown babies get sick, too. Yeah, um, um, and I believe I cover that later in this about, um, oh, no, it's here. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so despite the quarantine, by the end of the month, there were over 20 confirmed cases in the town. 
without the antitoxin, the mortality rate of diphtheria is close to 100%. Oh, yeah. It's... Ugh. Gosh. Um, okay. An influenza pandemic seven years earlier had wiped out 50% of the native population of Nome. Oh, my gosh. Eight, yeah. That accounts for 8% of the total native population in Alaska. That's awful. And also um, brings light to when people are like, oh, it's just like the flu. Uh, that's a pretty big <laughs> fucking deal. Uh, it, yeah. It turns out... Uh, you have it, to have <laughs> modern medical care available to you and space in the beds. Uh, um, and the you... correct uh, combination of H and N proteins mm-hmm. for it uh, to not be so, so bad. Um, correct. Oh, we got tangents this episode. Yep. Bullshit wars. Uh, yep, we're not, here for all yep. of that. <laughs> Buckle kidding. up, y'all. Um, so, uh, conditions and distance required. Uh, to get the antitoxin to town made flying a plane an impossibility. Mm-hmm. So everyone in Alaska turns to man's best friend, dogs, mm, specifically okay. sled dogs. So assuming you're a millennial or millennial adjacent, I'm going to assume you've seen and know the, the scene in the movie and know the story of Balto. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you live under a rock or if this is outside of your wheelhouse, Balto was a much celebrated sled dog. Yes. And rightfully so. Balto ran the last leg of the 1925 Serum Run Serum Run to Nome, uh, known as the Great Race of Mercy. This was a relay across 674 <gasps> miles in the middle of winter. Balto, the very good boy that he was, so ran with his team and his musher. Gunnar Kassen, the final leg of the race, Mm -hmm. 53 miles through cold and darkness to deliver the antitoxin. And we love and appreciate Balto. Yes, absolutely. But this story is not about him. He has his story. He does. And if you're having an animation night, I highly recommend you watch Balto and Sergeant Fantastic. Steppy. Um, there's um, also a Russian goose in Balto. <laughs> He's fantastic. Yes. Um, but tell me about the other puppy, please. Yes. This is the story of Togo, mm-hmm. who covered almost double the distance of Balto, logging 91 miles in one direction. Oh, my god. So goodness. 91 miles of the relay. He has been deemed the greatest sled dog of all time. (laughs) Of course he was. So, documentation about this very good boy's birth isn't great. Uh, But it's generally agreed that Togo was born in 1913. Initially, he was a very unlikely candidate to become a sled dog. He was very ill as a puppy and was only saved because the musher's wife, Mrs. Seppala, nursed him through his infancy. He was considered bold and mischievous difficult and a canine delinquent <laughs> who among us though was not truly in our teenage years yeah right? and i'm sorry you you want a, a bold and saucy sassy puppy to be a leader of your sled dog team you would you would think maybe not uh, took some training. so so he was small he only ever grew to be 48 pounds also a tiny baby he was a small boy okay it's between the size of my two dogs. And Bisky actually doesn't look too different from um, Sergeant Stubby. Yeah. Uh, so at 48 pounds, he's roughly half the size of my yellow lab. Yeah. 
He's in roughly. In weight. Roughly. Um, yeah. And half the size of my German Shepherd, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and wow. reportedly, he always looked dirty. So does Xander, to be fair, and he's fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a bad way. He yeah. just has, like, a brown spot in his lip, so it looks he like does. he ate, he got into the kitty food he too does. much. But. Yes. You, you you know he's not actually he's dirty. clean he's, he's a clean. very clean boy so fresh uh, okay. yeah uh i don't know that the same could be said for togo but that's fine because he's mischievous he's doing things he has he's puppy. busy he has puppy adventures to be on he does so leonard seppala his musher gave him away at six months old i'd be pissed if that was his wife i have a fucking excuse me i just raised this dog all right, he carry says on. he's not a good musher. He's not, or he's not a good sled dog. Well, he's fucking wrong. So after a few weeks as a house pet, our boy Togo <laughs> smashes through a glass window of a family home and runs all the way several miles back to his old family. Oh, ain't that just like a husky? So dramatic. He's like, oh, should I do it when I get let out naturally? No, I'm going to smash through this oh. window. That is husky behavior if I've ever heard it. And that remains a theme for him throughout his whole ass life. Uh, the level of devotion impressed Sapala, and Sapala kept him. I hate him. Uh, but this didn't stop our boy from causing a ruckus. <laughs> when Sapala would take his team out on runs, Togo would break out of his kennel, chase the team, catch up, and attack the lead dogs of oncoming teams, trying to clear the way for his master. The, we don't deserve dogs. <laughs> this guy specifically doesn't deserve right? this dog. Such a good boy, though. Mm -hmm. uh, this was until one time Togo <laughs> fucked with the real one and was severely mauled by a Malamute. <laughs> Yeah, they're huge. very big. Um, they do look like clouds, but I imagine do not feel like clouds. Uh, <laughs> You're well, on the wrong end of like a hundred pound dog. A hundred pound sled dog. Like, like these dogs muscle. are trained to move. Yeah. And Togo is under fifty pounds and is just like, "What's up, motherfucker?" Yeah, that is my that's that's small dog energy. It's my it's like my it's like biscuits energy. Yeah. Who's like a, she's kind of like a mutt. She looks a little bit like Sergeant Subby, but she's like a quirky Jack Russell type. She's dog. beautiful, beautiful, and perfect. Her her ears go straight out like an airplane. Is she <laughs> she looks like the flying nun. Like she can fly with those ears. She has grade A airplane ears. If yeah. I have ever seen them, uh, Lilo also has grade A airplane ears. Yes, they do. Like you have a type, and it is airplane ears. Yeah, but uh, Biscuit is just tenacious. Yeah, and single minded. Yes, much like. Our, our boy Togo here. But he fucked with the wrong one. He, he fucked with the real one. He was severely mauled by <laughs> oh, no. a Malamute. Uh, but he learns his lesson. Good. And he starts learning to, you know, you don't have it's to rough. attack the oncoming team. You can just go around the oncoming team. Uh, he learns this lesson um, and he chooses to stay in his own lane. Mm -hmm. And apparently this is a very valuable and difficult skill to teach sled dogs. Okay. Because when you're teaching them to move and be as fast as possible, uh -huh. they get very competitive. That's fair. It's a very pack mindset. Sure. So when you have someone coming up to you, mm -hmm. it's a problem. I getcha. Okay. So but he went through personal growth. He he did experience personal growth. That uh, you know we love to see it. We love to see it. So a few months later, 
Sapala uh, Sapala. I'm not sure how to say this man's it's, name. These names are hard. Uh, gets hired to deliver some gold overnight. It is a high-paying gig. He does mm-hmm. not have time for Togo's fucking antics. <laughs> so he tethers him inside. He leaves instructions to only release him when him and the team are good and gone. Mm-hmm. Togo, never to be contained, frees himself of the tether <laughs> and jumps the kennel fence. This Which, is... this is a kennel built to hold full-grown huskies. Oh, this is husky behavior, though. <laughs> like, 100 I live next door to two huskies. I'm here to tell you these are the most dramatic dogs <laughs> This dog, I won't make this noise on this podcast because it will likely cut out because of the pitch. But it took me two weeks to figure out. I thought this was a power drill, some kind of powered tool that was making this noise. And I could not figure out what was going on next door. I was like, are they having their house rebuilt? What is happening? It's a husky making noises husky makes. And I highly recommend that you look up inconvenienced huskies. (laughs) The drama <laughs> is insane. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, so he jumps the kennel fence. He does cut his little paw in the process. Oh, dear. A handler cuts him down. But before he can be contained, Togo takes off. He <laughs> follows the team at a distance and even manages to sleep unnoticed, but near the cabin <laughs> where the rest of the team is staying. The next day, uh, Sapala uh, sees him in the distance and is like, you've got to be fucking shitting me. And Togo's like, I'm fast as fuck, boy. <laughs> Class clown Togo uh, keeps trying to play with the team while they're running and uh, leads them off course several times. <laughs> love this dog. And this man is on like a time crunch trying to get gold delivered. And Togo's like, no, no. No, no, we're not what actually. Other plans? I have a large agenda of puppy to do list, um, and I'm sorry it doesn't include gold. We've got fun to have. Sorry, Padre. He's so bad. I love him. Uh, so okay. he leads the other dogs off course repeatedly. Sapala has no choice but to put that baby in a harness and strap him to the team. Apparently, Togo has some BDSM shit in him because as soon as he's harnessed, he immediately chills out. Uh, Sapala, curious about the behavior, tries him in different spots along the chain. Mm -hmm. And all the way up to lead dog, which impresses the hell out of Sapala. Uh, he later says he found a natural-born leader, something he had been trying for years to successfully breed. Right there in front of your fucking face, Sapala. okay? Yep. He's been trying to tell you that he's number one. Uh, and and I'm pretty sure he, he, just, he just chilled out when he got on that chain because he was looking for that fucking Malamute because they fucking disappear in the snow. They're white. <laughs> he's like, look, uh, I don't know where that guy is. Um, but I'm going to find him. I'm going to get mine. Uh, come back for round two. I think he was like, I'm just going to chill the fuck out. (laughs) All hundred pounds of this cloud comes at me that I won't be able to see because he's the same color as the snow. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So good. Uh, So on his first day in the harness, Togo logs a whopping 75 miles on his first day. After a few years of training, Togo becomes the primary 
full-time lead dog. He, he'd run single lead without a partner, which is uncommon. So he is just out there doing it by himself. Mm-hmm. Doggies are doing it for themselves. Woof, woof. Uh, on one occasion, while crossing Norton Sound, uh, Sapala ordered Togo to run to avoid a crack in the ice. Upon doing so, Togo stopped going tail over nose without being told to. He halted the entire team by himself. When Sapala got to the front to see what the hell happened, he saw that Togo had not deliberately disobeyed for kicks and giggles. Mm-hmm. There was an open channel of water in the ice that was expanding. Oh! He saved his whole team from drowning in the icy water. On that same trip, when arriving at the shore of the Bering Sea, the ice flow the team uh, the team was on top of uh, was too far from land, and so and it, so I think. Sorry, uh, I wrote this uh, while very tired on an airplane home. Um, <laughs> so I think all of this was the return trip from the gold rush. No, the oh. return trip from the Nome, Alaska thing. Oh, okay, from getting the the yes. antivirals. Okay. Yes. Um, but uh, so on the same trip, uh, there the team is like too far separated. Like the part of water is too big from piece of ice to piece of ice. Okay. For them to make it across, um, so uh, he hitches Togo in a single lead with an anchor in the ice and tries to toss him across to the ice closer to the shore. Togo landed, uh-huh. understood, and dug in. However, the line snapped. Oh no. Leaving Sapala and the rest of the team stranded without guidance or prompting, Togo leapt into the water, took the broken line into his mouth, spun around twice, around his shoulders, making a harness, and pulled the ice floe to the other side with his team on it. You guys (laughs) cannot see my face. (laughs) But I am... I might cry. (laughs) He's so smart and so good, and he just saved everybody, including his asshole owner, <laughs> just tossed him across the ice. But he saved his friends. Yeah. Okay. He's a very good boy. He's so smart. Ten out of ten best boy. So smart. Dramatic, but smart. It's okay. Those uh, are some good qualities. Yeah, we love it. So, this brings us to the Great Race for Mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Togo was 12 years old. He had been a sled dog for about seven years. The relay for or oh the relay for life you thought the relay for life was rough no no this is an actual relay for life Mm -hmm. uh sled dogs have to cover 674 miles there are 20 mushers 150 sled dogs five and a half days oh my god to get the antitoxin to Nome. togo sapala and their team had to travel 170 miles just to meet the start of their part of the relay. Jeez, that's far, guys. So they, <laughs> like, Sapala lived in Nome. So he had to leave Nome oh, to go meet the relay. 
okay. Then go 91 miles back the direction they came for the handoff, which Sapala was like, who mapped these logistics? This is shit. <laughs> right. Do you guys know it was a fucking epidemic we're trying to stop? <laughs> who drew this map? <laughs> and at the handoff, uh, Henry Ivanov, who was supposed to give the serum to Sapala. Just uh, the goose? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Maybe in the movie. Uh, uh. Ivanov was late. His team had a very unfortunate encounter with a reindeer. What? Yeah. yeah. We have reindeer in Alaska? Uh, apparently. I mean. Really? They're very far north. Yeah. Well, right. I just thought they were like in Europe. I didn't know. Unless they were just hunted well, so to we extinction now. So we used to have the strait, right? So. Or no, that the... makes, it makes complete sense. I just. Yeah. I, I think we, we hunted have them, them there. Because we, I know we got a bunch of fucking moose. Well, we have moose Big, and elk. Tall, so I don't think we. Mooses. I don't think we experience, I don't know if maybe they have more hunt, like, uh, predators up there, but I don't. Maybe. So, like, I know in, like, Nordic countries and stuff, they're, like, a nuisance animal up Right, there. like the kangaroo in Australia. Right, like, Yeah, so they... I know the reindeer's on the menu in, uh, Nordic places, but right. I just didn't think that we had reindeer here. That's a cool thing. I could be wrong. This is what Wikipedia so told Alaskans me. Alaskans and Canadians are, like... You've got to leave yeah, Florida. Yeah, we have fucking... <laughs> You've got to leave Florida. Sometime. You've got to leave Florida in the travel. sunshine areas. You must travel to, to the winter areas. My goodness. <laughs> I've seen snow one time, guys. I don't know where reindeer are. <laughs> Other um, than the North Pole and Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Ivanov, much like me in my life, uh, was late. And uh, they so they had their encounter with the reindeer. Sapala. Uh, though, assumes he messed up the coordinates of where they were supposed to meet up. Like, they don't have email. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have anything to refer back to. He's just out on his own. So he's thinking, Oof. oh, fuck, I messed up the coordinates. Okay. You could write it down from the um, telegram. He was preparing his team to travel another 100 miles for the handoff. So uh-huh. they had already traveled 170. Oh, my god! And he was like, all right, boys, we got to go another 100. Pack oh, up. Let's no. go. Just with the yeah. best boys. Um, and because that was the only other handoff location he could remember. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Right about this time, as they're all, like, saddling up, Ivanov yeah. shows up on a sled screaming, I have the serum! I have the serum! Mm-hmm. Uh, so they take off. And they That's ran lucky. 91 miles as part of the relay. Uh-huh. It said Togo's Lake of the Rung uh, was the most treacherous terrain in the relay. Mm. The temperature uh, was... Negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my gosh. That isn't even a real number to right. us, guys. Like, like, we hit 20 and we're like, I've never felt anything cold. 20 positive Fahrenheit. We've positive. never felt anything cold. Do you understand? It took me, I was an, not an adult, but at least a advanced teen before I realized that 20 and negative 20 were different. Mm. I was like, no, surely they must mean this temperature. It was crazy to me. Not... 40 degrees colder. Exactly. Not it's... the same difference from 30 to 70, but the same difference <laughs> yeah. from... Uh, so the temp is negative 30 Fahrenheit. When accounting for the wind chill, it is negative 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Fuck off. That's a fuck off temperature. Like, <laughs> But there are babies dying, so these dogs are out it there doing it. Uh, the total of 200... The to, the total 261-mile run took the team three days. Mm. Um, on the relay leg of the trip, 
Um, they had to cross the open ice of Norton Sound again okay. through the blizzard. Sapala couldn't see to make out anything. He literally could not steer his team. Oh my goodness. You're like relying on their instincts. Because like snow blindness is... Snow As blindness I understand, is a thing. <laughs> and on open ice. Like, you're... Yeah, so you're, you're just... You can't you see can't shit. See it's just anything. all white. Yeah. It's... The only thing I can compare it to is when it rains so hard here. You can't see anything you, when you're driving. Right. There's... If you ever come to Florida, um, if you're... If it's raining so hard that you're just following the taillights in front of you... The taillights, or uh, we don't encourage this, but it's called driving by Braille. Yeah. Where you just follow the uh, reflective strips in the road. Yeah. So that's the only thing I can possibly compare it to. But we're a shit ton colder. A shit ton colder. colder. You're not in your car and you're just out exposed to the elements relying on on your best boys. Yeah. Um, So, hi, Yogs. Yogs is like, "Uh, bestest boy? I'm here. He's licking my hair. (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's gonna give me a cowlick but it's a puppy lick it's worth it yeah um so yeah uh he can't see to steer his team but best boy togo led them to the roadhouse where they're going to stay for the night mm-hmm. without any instruction from his musher uh they were on a time crunch and as nighttime temps would be falling another 10 degrees fahrenheit so, like, literally, you cannot safely exist in this. I'm sorry. I don't know if you guys can hear my dog licking. He's, we're sitting next to each other, so he's just, he's going, like, his head is going back and forth, like he's saying no, but it's to lick one person, and then the next person, and then so on and so forth, because he's very happy. He's very he's, excited I don't to be know involved. if, I, I would bet you could do this, Yogi. Yeah, we know you would be the best. You would be such boy. a good. I mean, we just have to get you those little shoes. <laughs> we do. You're very sensitive. We just have to put the little shoes <laughs> near paws. That's all. And once we do that, everything's fine. <laughs> You're ready. You're ready, baby. <laughs> um. So yeah, nighttime temps would be falling another ten degrees Fahrenheit. Um. So after traveling eighty-four miles in this condition. <laughs> Or in these conditions, oh, is your life hard? Is hearing about these sled dogs exhausting for you? He's like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I don't know if the microphones are picking up my dog's I very turn dramatic down the breathing. Gate just don't. So people can hear this. Oh my goodness. We <laughs> can edit out whatever as well. Uh, it's we just should, hilarious. Listen, it's his episode. It's, it's about best like, boys. Excuse me, uh, you won't edit shit, lady. But he would like, never curse, though. I, I, I am a best boy. He's like, I'm so good. I yeah, need dog are. material. You absolutely are my handsome boy. Oh, he's so sweet. Yeah. Um. So, Togo leads them to the roadhouse where they'll be staying for the night. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you guys are probably just going to have to listen to my dog lick in the background. It's probably real gross, but him's a very good boy. Um, he didn't have any instruction from his musher, uh, and they're on a time crunch. Uh, nighttime temps fall another 10 degrees Fahrenheit, and after traveling 84 miles in those conditions, uh, they arrive at the place where they will rest for the night. They sleep from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., and then take off again. Into a full-on blizzard. The team crosses the ice, which is breaking up, uh, by following the shoreline. 
ending their run by climbing and descending a 5,000 foot mountain. Uh, they arrive at the drop-off point where Sapala and Togo pass the serum off to Charlie Olson and his team, who then hands it off to Gunnar Kassen and Balto. Uh, during... And a goose. And a goose. <laughs> uh, during this whole relay, a number of dogs don't make it. Oh, no. But none from Togo and Sapala's team I forgot lost. that you told me that at the beginning. Sorry, that, that's all I have on that. But a number of sled dogs did not make it, but Togo and Sapala made sure that their team arrived safely. What I just heard was all of the dogs made it. That's fair. <laughs> um, they all made it. You guys, I will edit whatever fucking story I want. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen the end of Moulin Rouge except for once. Uh, there's the come what may sequence, and then they kiss, and then I'm like, ooh, and that's how that ended. I didn't know that till I watched Buffy as a kid. And uh, they're like, yeah, this is what I do. And I was oh, you can just... Turn it off. You can just turn it off. And that's where the story ends. Yeah. So all the doggies got um, there safely. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, but uh, importantly, Sapala and Togo's team, despite running double the distance of everyone else and um, being the best boys and having the most difficult route in front of them, their whole team survived. Um, in total, the human death toll for the 1925 diphtheria outbreak is listed between four and seven deaths. I would like to point out this is only counting white people. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Welch would later go on to estimate that another 100 or so um, Native Alaskan Eskimos had been lost. Oh, that's really sad. Another 43 cases were diagnosed in 1926, but with a fresh supply of serums, uh, they were all easily treated. That's good. All participants received a letter of commendation from President Calvin Coolidge, which fuck that guy, but <laughs> I guess that's nice. Um, it is noted the Senate stopped work to commemorate the event. Evidently, they never learned how to resume, uh, but each musher was given a gold medal from the HK. Mulford Company in LA and Balto, the boy who delivered the serums, yes. got a bone shaped key to City Hall Stop awarded it. to him by the mayor. A bone shaped key? I think all of the puppies deserved a bone shaped they, key. They all did. But I am glad that Balto got one. Yep. Um, I just wish that Togo had gotten one too. Togo, though. And all of his, all the teams. The, all the teams. They're all fantastic boys and girls. I don't. I assume hmm. girls are in there. Probably. They may not be lead sled dog, but I guess it depends because the, the girls are smaller. But you know, you don't get boy sled dogs without girl sled dogs. So. You don't. There's only one way. Yeah. Interesting that way. <laughs> um, so Togo, though less well known, got his own celebrations. Sapala uh, took his team for a celebration tour, mm -hmm. 10 days of which were spent at Madison Square Garden in New York City. The team competed in less intense races without children's <laughs> lives on the line. I appreciate that. Um, and they frequently won. Uh, and then the team got to enjoy retirement in Maine, where they became part of a breeding program. I can think of worse ways to retire. There are worse ways to retire. Sapala himself said, I never had a dog better than Togo. His stamina, loyalty, and intelligence could not be improved upon. <laughs> Togo was the best dog that ever traveled the Alaskan Trail. I agree. 
1928, his owner in his retirement years published a book called Togo's Fireside Reflections. I think he should have published it. I tried to get rid of this dog once. It turns out he's the best dog ever. Uh, so he ends up uh, giving Togo to a woman who handles like retired sled dogs because Sapala is still very much involved in like training sled dogs and Togo needs like a retirement home. So she has a very nice retirement home for them in thing. This guy has no loyalty to this poor fucking dog. I agree. Um, I am happy that Togo spent his golden years um, in a place where I imagine he's running freely and having a bunch of puppies. Mm -hmm. But also, like, you didn't keep this perfection pup? Correct. Okay. Well, whatever. His new owner publishes uh, Fireside Reflections. Um, and Sapala, of course, uh, inked Togo's paw to help Togo sign the books. I bet those are worth a fortune. Oh, I'm sure. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to scour the internet right now and see if I can find one of those that's like $14,000 for a paw pad of Togo. Yeah. The best boy. So good. Um, there is a statue of Balto in Central Park. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of bullshit, though. He is wearing all of the awards that Togo received. Aww. And I mean, that's weird because Balto got his own very fun awards, like the Bone-Shaped Key to the City. Yeah, the Bone-Shaped Key, but he didn't get, like, all of the heroic awards that Togo received over the years. Why can't they just have two statues? You know what, New York? Figure this out. Okay, well, hold on. Maybe. All right. Well, that's still not great, but hold on. Okay. Um, the monument reads... Dedicated to the indomitable spirit of sled dogs that relayed antitoxins 600 miles over rough ice across treacherous waters and through Arctic blizzards from Nanana to the relief of stricken Nome. Okay. It took until 1997 for Togo to get his own statue at Cleveland Metro Park Zoo of all fucking places, Cleveland. I'm sorry. Uh, Balto does deserve a um, Central Park uh, monument, but Balto also, not Balto, but Toko also deserves to be in Central Park Cleveland Zoo. Correct. So Cleveland? Poor, poor, yeah. <laughs> poor Toko. So, in 2001... He finally gets a statue in New York City at Seaward Park, but it's much smaller than Balto's. But, fun fact, in the Nancy Drew novel, uh, The Whispering Statue, she names her dog after Togo. Aww. It's very sweet. Um, as far as modern media goes, uh, Time Magazine named Togo the most heroic dog of all time in 2011. Okay. And in 2019, Disney made a movie about Togo starring Willem Dafoe mm-hmm. and Togo. Uh, Togo was portrayed by the dog actor Diesel, oh. who is a direct descendant of Togo. It is his... Stop. I will not. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, Togo is his 14 times great-grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> That's very I good. I didn't know that. 
just a very, very good puppy actor. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, but because Togo never gets his due, uh, the movie is not in theaters. It is released directly to Disney Plus in well, 2019. Okay, I was about to be like, well, was it during 2020 when everything got released no, directly? it was before. Yeah. I hate that for him. And I have to be honest, I myself did not watch that movie because I was worried Togo would die at the end. Justice for Togo. Justice for Togo. He deserves so much more. More recognition. Like, Balto also deserves a lot of recognition. He did a great job. But also, Togo needs his own fantastic movie that we all watch. Yeah. Um, I guess we can always go watch that. Yeah. We can go watch both movies now. We can, we can do both. Um, so, Sapala on his deathbed, said he was always upset uh, how the, all the credit went to Balto when Togo did the lion's share of the work. Yeah. So, this story is not for Balto, although we appreciate we him. We do, and the goose. Uh, this story is not for all of the good boys who ran in the race of mercy. Although they were fantastic. Although we appreciate them. Mm-hmm. This story is for Togo. Cheers to Togo. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. And if you want to visit Togo today, uh, we've discussed his statues, and he is also immortalized in the Iditarod Museum. Um, after his death, Zapala had uh, was referred to as his pelt as custom mounted. Uh, the mounted display was on display at the Shelburne Museum in Shelburne, Vermont, but Alaskan students started a campaign to return Togo to Alaska, where he belonged. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so today his pelt uh, is on display in a glass case at the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Headquarters in Wasilla, Alaska, um, and... His skeleton is on display at the Peabody Museum of Natural History at Yale University. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, so I know like that part's sad, but I think it's pretty it cool because sad. like, I don't know, my skeleton's probably not going to be on display at Yale. No. So. No, no, no. There's a couple of, they got a couple of dogs at Yale because they have the original old, uh, was it Handsome Dan? I think is their original bulldog mascot and uh-huh. they have a uh, Handsome Dan there. Uh, I think he, I think he's also um, been taxidermied, but I hear that there is a statue of Handsome Dan. We're talking about other dogs now. But I hear there's a statue of Handsome Dan, and I think like all freshmen have to go like touch his little puppy toe, and they get like good luck or something like that. Aww. I think that might have been some shit I heard on Gilmore Girls. I don't know how fucking real that is, but because <laughs> uh, she did end up going to Yale. But um, yeah, and um, I didn't mention it earlier. Uh, Stubby was also taxidermied, but I've seen Togo's taxidermy, and he was, he looked fine. Uh, they did Stubby dirty as fuck. Uh, I don't recommend you look that up. I highly recommend you look up. I mean, he doesn't look horrible. He just doesn't look like he was ever a living dog. Um, but you, I highly recommend you look up his uniform that was made for him, because it's very, very sweet. And all of his pictures, which, some of which we will post. Yeah, we'll post pictures of both of the good boys. Oh, the good boys. Um, so, yeah, this um, is our best good boy episode. Yeah, eventually we'll do one for cats so Xander could be, feel more involved. And I like talking about animals anyway, so. Me too. Yeah. Meow uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> Meow too. 
Yeah. Meow three. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Yes. Thank you. This is probably my favorite episode thus far because we talked about ducks. Very fair. Um, so, um, y'all can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you would like to become an honorary history ho, I feel like we did not do a good job of advertising Patreon this time around, but please check us out on patreon.com slash historywoes. Yeah. Or check us out on historywoes.com. Find us on Instagram at historywoes. Send us an email at historywoes at gmail. We accept suggestions, (laughs) polite feedback, and stories you would like to share. Absolutely. Um, and to plug Patreon real quick, uh, we have a Patreon episode coming up next episode. Ooh. And um, so, yeah, if you're a Patreon, your suggestion goes to the top of the list. So um, I'm very excited. We're not going to tell you what theme is yet, but we're very excited to do it. Um, oh, can can we announce our next? Okay. You want to do a theme? Well, I thought it was I'm happy to. Yeah. Uh, so the theme, uh, it is a Patreon suggestion. Yeah, um, from our... Uh, bestest PR person ever, Simone. <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, that episode will be radiate negativity and take from that what you will. Ooh, spoil. Uh, yeah, not spoilers, but teasers, teasers. Radiate negativity. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, and uh, we would like to shout out uh, Victor Nadas for intro and outro music. Mm-hmm. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Please come join us next time. Bye. Bye.